Over the last few months, I've been joined by climate action champions from around the world for our 30 for Net Zero 30 podcast series in the lead up to COP26. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by James Close, head of climate change at NatWest. James, welcome to our podcast series. I know you're a real climate change advocate and have a commitment to enabling finance in particular to focus on the transition to net zero. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and how you got here? Well, thank you very much, uh, Anna-Marie. It's, it's really great to be on your podcast. Um, and I've been working on climate change for the last 15 years. Uh, and I first got involved uh, when I saw Al Gore give his speech on an inconvenient truth uh, in Sheffield. And I decided it was something I wanted to spend my time working on. I was lucky enough to work on uh, policy in the UK and then head over to Washington, where I was the director for climate change at the World Bank. Um, and as part of our commitment as the World Bank in the run up to uh, COP21 uh, in Paris, uh, we uh, determined that we would uh, increase our proportion of climate finance from about 15% at the time to over 28%. Um, and, and we managed to do that uh, ahead of the 2020 deadline. Uh, but what I learned from that was the power of finance in helping us make this transition uh, to a lower carbon future. Um, and so when NatWest uh, talked to me about joining them as their director for climate change, I was delighted to join, particularly because NatWest had uh, taken up the role of a purpose-led bank and using money, finance, for purpose-led uh, activities and putting climate change at the heart of that. So um, I'm really delighted to be at the heart of this conversation and to be part of uh, NatWest's uh, leadership here, uh, which includes, of course, our sponsorship for COP26 uh, in Glasgow in November. Yeah, fascinating times to, to be involved and a really interesting point you make around the power of finance. Um, to that end, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about what is the role of finance in this and, 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 and how does sustainability get delivered through finance? What is the biggest shift that you've seen over the last 18 months or, or two years maybe regarding sustainability? Uh, well, I think the first thing is that we've started to measure it properly and we've really started to put best brains on getting the data uh, and that enables us to understand um, what, uh, what money is flowing towards sustainability and, and climate action. Um, and I think uh, we've linked that very closely to you know, outcomes like uh, emissions reduction, but also uh, some of the biodiversity and ecosystems issues that uh, sustainability addresses as well. Uh, and as a result of that, we've seen this wall of money uh, for ESG investing uh, be mobilised. Um, and that's going into equity investment and also into uh, debt and bond financing. And there's been a huge amount of innovation there uh, around uh, ESG and green bonds, for example, uh, many of them sustainability linked. Uh, and what I think that's doing is starting to price the, uh, the impact that good things are having, having on the planet. Um, and ultimately, the, the counterpoint to that is that it's penalising uh, the pricing of finance for bad things. Now, you know, I think economists would argue that putting a price on carbon, uh, a really meaningful price on carbon, uh, across the whole economy would be a much more effective way of doing it. Um, and maybe we'll get to that point at some, uh, some point in the future. Uh, 
Uh, but until we get there, this sort of recalibrating of financial flows through rewarding uh, good actions and penalizing bad actions uh, has, has really started to shift the agenda. And I think the uh, creation of the uh, Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero um, and the Net Zero Banking Alliance, which we joined as an inaugural member a month or so ago, uh, will be a real mobilizer of uh, this ambition towards net zero. And we'll have to start thinking about how we allocate capital in a way which is consistent with uh, carbon, because in a, in a carbon uh, constrained world, uh, we'll have to think about the best places to lend that enable us to hit uh, the types of um, carbon targets that we're setting ourselves to get to that net zero uh, point. The carbon taxes, carbon credits, lots of uh, lots of items that people are you know openly debating, um, kind of in in the press and everywhere else at the moment. Um, what do you think uh, is the one specific action maybe that really could be a game changer here to deliver on this net zero promise that, that everyone's talking about? Because, you know, hundreds and hundreds of companies are coming out with it, governments are coming out with it, but, but to really kind of make the action real. Anything in specifics? I'm going to sort of pivot the question a little bit, if I may, uh, Anna-Marie, because um, what I've learned uh, in working in this field for the last 15 years is that uh, it really is a system problem and you've got to think of it in systemic terms, uh, which means that, uh, for example, policy is very closely linked to uh, finance and finance is also what nudges uh, behaviours and changes behaviours. So in, that's the frame I think about uh, this, is if you get policy set in the right direction, principally aligned with nationally determined comp, um, uh, contributions that countries are declaring, um, and having a long-term and consistent expectation of that goal of net zero, you can mobilize the finance for businesses and infrastructure and investments in a way that's consistent with uh, that uh, policy objective. Um, and then you start to see uh, behavior change uh, influencing both of them. Uh, the politicians feel as though they can be a bit more forward leaning because uh, the population understands the impact of climate change um, and what we need to do about it. Uh, and of course, the financial signals are also uh, nudging people to uh, make better decisions. And we're starting to see that with electric vehicles, for example, where you know, long-term policy has been set in terms of um, eliminating the internal combustion engine and putting a deadline for that. The infrastructure for um, charging is being rolled out. Uh, the, the, the pricing of an electric vehicle still higher than an um, internal combustion engine vehicle, but is the gaps closing. And of course, the running costs are much, much lower. So the overall financial cost of ownership of an electric vehicle um, is now cheaper than it is for an internal combustion engine vehicle. And again, finance can help by um, uh, smoothing that uh, financing through lease payments and um, ways in which you can then uh, spread the cost of the upfront capital uh, against the increased reduced running costs that you get from from being an electric vehicle. So, uh, so the the whole if you can bring that system together and deal with policy, finance, and behaviour change in a really thoughtful and consistent way, 
then we give ourselves the greatest chance of accelerating this transition uh, in a way that's going to be manageable and also fair and just for, for, for all. So, so, so I guess your one specific action is system change for the entire system and the, the whole business ecosystem. Um, yeah, and, and, and driven by a net zero target. I mean, the science tells us we need to get to net zero. Um, of course, and again, simplistically, if we're not at net zero, more carbon's going into the atmosphere, so the temperature is continuing to rise. Um, so you, you, that long-term target uh, helps us then think about reinventing the system in a way that is going to be consistent with achieving it. And then if you can overlay some of the co-benefits on it and the support to the transition to make sure that it's fair and just, uh, you're going to get a, a much better outcome and a much better journey um, in terms of uh, the pace and the scale of the transition. So a real opportunity, I think, for, for, for businesses to, to, to recreate, um, you know, how they're operating. If, if I can take it personal for a moment, um, yeah. what, what is your own commitment um, to, to net zero since we're, you know, we're all part of this system change? Um, anything in particular that, that you've done or you're looking to do? Yeah, no, well, a few things, um, uh, Anna-Marie. Um, when we came back from uh, Washington, uh, we uh, refurbished our house. Um, it's originally built in 1847 and was a very uh, leaky and drafty uh, home uh, with limited potential for doing um, solar PV, but we did manage to put some solar thermal for water heating. Uh, we looked at um, ground source heat pumps, uh, but practically they wouldn't work. So we just uh, did as much energy efficiency as we possibly could uh, to make it as energy efficient as possible. Um, and as a result, we've actually found that we've got extremely low electricity and gas bills um, to the point where uh, we're still repaying the, uh, addition, the original increased direct debit um, and we've actually got a payment of, of zero as we work through all our credits from the original overpayment. Um, so that's one thing that we've we've done. I mean, the other thing that uh, that that I've got on my list of things to do is uh, to finalise my order for my electric car. Um, and we at NatWest have got a, a very good partnership with Octopus, where we can get um, our residential charging points installed. Um, and I'm really excited about the prospect of uh, driving the electric car. Um, my slight challenge there is to have a range of at least 250 miles because both my wife and my parents live up in the, the north of England. So you want to be able to make that trip in one go. Uh, but I've spotted the right uh, car to buy and I need to now just uh, uh, go and put the order in and uh, enjoy driving it, I think. <laughs> maybe investigate some kind of uh, you know battery that you can take with you on the 250 uh, <laughs> mile radius um i guess last question for you you've made some really interesting comments so far but if you could get you know one person or or, or a group even to take a particular action um what would it be and, and who would it be that yeah. you'd want to really motivate well, I think um, I would choose, uh, I don't know whether it's, I think, you know, this person is already taking action and showed amazing leadership, really, um, in uh, particularly uh, creating a framework for thinking about addressing climate change, both in terms of the 
intellectual framework in the work the book that he's just written uh, called values which is a very um, significant contribution to this debate uh, and also promoting the uh, tcfd uh, requirements that have been adopted by many organizations of course that's that's mark carney who's leading the uh, uh, the un uh, work on climate finance uh, and has been advising the uk prime minister in the run-up to cop uh, 26 as well um, and we've been working with him as he builds this coalition of uh, organizations that are committing to net zero in the finance space, this Glasgow uh, Financial Alliance for Net Zero. Um, and the reason why I think uh, having that sort of convening power and authority uh, to enable uh, us as the finance industry to think uh, along similar lines and uh, in the right kind of collective way is that you're starting to align the asset owners, the asset managers and the banks in ways that uh, enable the finance to flow um, in a far more consistent manner. Uh, and what it's also doing is it's forcing us to think about uh, collaborations, how we work with others uh, in the way in which we can uh, mobilise this finance and the kind of partnerships that are going to uh, support uh, this transition. Um, and particularly in relation to, for example, uh, data and analysis. So, you know, we're all working through the climate biennial exploratory scenarios of the Bank of England, uh, which will give us some bottom-up data on customers and what their emissions are. But alongside that, we're also uh, working with Microsoft uh, to help um, many of our other businesses start to uh, track their emissions, and particularly important for small and medium-sized enterprises. And some of the research that we did suggested that 88% of, of them were committed to sustainability, um, but um, uh, only half of them knew where to start. So given better data, they'll have a better chance to initiate their actions, which will also enable us to support them in pricing their uh, long-term credit worthiness better and that will be able to allocate our capital more effectively so we're starting to build a, a system that is aligned towards net zero from a financial point of view and i think you know mark's current leadership uh, there with with many others has been quite instrumental uh, to do that and you know he's building off the work that uh, uh, michael bloomberg did for example um, and now in the US, we're seeing, you know, Janet Yellen talking about some of these things as well. So those leaders in climate finance, I think, are, are particularly important in, at the policy level. And then, you know, for each of the individual banks, they're also going to have to take um, a, a leading role in enabling that to happen. And I've, I've been, you know, really delighted in how our CEO, Alison Rose, has taken that leadership role and has built um, a coalition within the organization that are thoroughly committed to some really ambitious targets. Um, so I think in many ways we have the uh, component parts in place. It's just, we all have to raise our ambition and our commitment to make sure that we can get them delivered as quickly as possible. Uh, because if we, if we let this window that we've got, the window of the decisive decade as many people uh, describe it, uh, pass by without putting the action that we need to, then we really are uh, putting the planet in peril and the consequences of that will be, you know, really uh, severe for, for all of us. Um, but I think, you know, we uh, in the climate movement describe ourselves as stubborn optimists, 
Um, and I think that sort of stubborn optimism of uh, mobilizing, acting and delivering uh, will get us to uh, deliver really challenging 2030 targets in a way that um, that is probably faster than we think we can do. And I, I remember that Lord Stern told us that, uh, that, that we can usually go faster than we think. And I think he may well be right uh, as we get the conditions in place and the building box aligned and we follow the leadership of people like Mark Carney uh, and others um, who are helping us set the framework and, and drive uh, this really exciting uh, transition to a net zero economy. Great, great comments, uh, James, and thank you for sharing with us. I think I think the takeaway is the power of finance to really use data, uh, measure impact, and and affect system change so that you know that we can have actions now that 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 last uh, into the future and give us a sustainable and resilient planet. So th thanks very much for joining us today. I appreciate your uh, your comments and your insights. No, my pleasure, Anna-Marie, and thank you very much for inviting me in and look forward to uh, collaborating more on all of this. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it worthwhile. To learn more about the issues we've just covered, please visit ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. This 30 for Net Zero 30 episode is just one small part of our continuing podcast series, ESG Matters at Ashurst. Make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, you can also listen to our other episodes and leave a rating or review. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.